Well, take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want to recognize a special guest that we have today, and uh, that is we have a retired pastor who served for many, many years as a pastor in the state of Oregon, and that is Pastor Lauren Myers. Pastor Myers, where are you sitting? Just There he is right there. Let's welcome Pastor Myers and thank him for being here. And... uh, Many of you know the Myers family. Uh, That's Mark's dad, and Mark has a birthday today as well. So happy birthday to you, Mark, and uh, we're just glad to have you, Pastor Myers, honored that you would worship with us today. Well, uh, on today, it's hard to believe, but one year ago, on this Sunday, I was standing here for the very first time preaching in view of a call to be your new pastor. And uh, I just wanted to to say on this day uh, how deeply grateful that I and uh, Amy and our family, that we, we are so grateful uh, to be here with you. A year ago, I felt very strongly that God was calling us to come here. And I wouldn't have moved here if I didn't believe God was calling us to come here. But one year later, I feel even more strongly that God's will was for us to come. And uh, we, we have felt so loved. Uh, you have loved us. You have welcomed us. You have spoiled us. We are not upset about that. Um, you have invited us to become family uh, very quickly, and we, we love you very much. And it is just a total joy uh, for me to be your pastor. I have thought a lot throughout this year, and we're reminded again this morning of Psalm 16 and verse 6, uh, where David says that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And that is my heart towards you. This is a pleasant place, and uh, we, we are so grateful. So thanks for having us, and uh, we look forward to many more years together as we serve King Jesus. Uh, hopefully you found your way to Matthew chapter 6. Can I, if you haven't, I'm going to give you 30 more seconds, okay, because I need to give a little commercial for something. Two weeks from today, the last Sunday of August, that's August 27th, we uh, are having a special guest speaker here named Mike Keybone. Uh, Mike is uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Lawton, Oklahoma. Any Okies in the house today? The brave few. Uh, he pastors first Baptist Lawton, but uh, really travels all over the country to share his story. He has a, a beautiful story of God's grace in his life, and I've invited him to share that story here on that day. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you may remember uh, the old school uh, friend day. Anybody remember friend day? Uh, churches used to have these all the time where you'd invite a friend to come with you to church. Well, that's our fall kickoff Sunday. I know it doesn't feel like fall here on the surface of the sun. But we are kicking off our fall semester of of activities. So we're calling it Fall Kickoff Sunday, but it's really Friend Day. It's an opportunity for you to invite a friend, uh, maybe who doesn't know the Lord or maybe doesn't have a church home, and just it's a good excuse to say, hey, come to church with me. We've got a special guest. You're going to hear a great, encouraging story of God's grace. And uh, they will hear a clear gospel presentation. They will be given an opportunity uh, to respond to Christ in salvation on that day. And so if you know somebody that you just say, man, I really wish that they would come to church with me, that's a great Sunday to invite them. So hope that you'll do that. That's two weeks from today. All right, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18 as we dive into God's word this morning. Jesus says this, whenever you fast... Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting is not obvious to others, but to your Father who's in secret. 
And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't think I've ever told you about the time that I ate a dog biscuit. I was at my parents' house for Christmas and uh, as was my custom, one evening I kind of buzzed by the kitchen to see what delicious things might have been left out that I could eat. And I saw something that looked incredibly delicious. It was, it looked like a bowl full of sausage balls. You know that I kind of, I'm talking about at Christmas time, sausage and cheese, they're so savory, they're so good. And I just saw, it looks sumptuous, it looks so good. Nope. I was wrong. It was not delectable Christmas sausage balls. It was dog biscuits. Now, I can't tell you why a bowl full of dog biscuits was on my parents' countertop, but I bit into what looked so good on the outside and discovered I had eaten a dog biscuit. Now, it's amazing how something sometimes can look great on the outside, but it's something very different on the inside. That's what Jesus has been talking about in Matthew chapter 6. He's, talk, he's been talking about people who've been changed by Jesus. They, before Christ, they, they were living unrighteous lives, but then they begin to get hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness. And when you get hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness, God will fill you with his righteousness. He will put his righteousness in you that you didn't have on your own. But, but one of the ways when we begin to experience life change when we begin to live out our righteousness, one of the ways that Satan can tempt us is to begin to do the righteous things that we do, the good things that we're called to do, to begin to do those not to bring glory and attention to God, but to begin to get glory and attention for ourselves. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, do not practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus says we are to be salt and light so that the people around us will see our good works and give glory to God. The purpose of living out righteous lives, the purpose of doing good works is so that when people see that, they will draw their, it will draw their attention not to you, but to God. We can all be tempted to try to draw attention to ourselves, to try to do the good things we do so that others will notice us, that others will think more highly of us, and so that we will get the attention and the glory for ourselves. And so Jesus warns us against that in Matthew chapter 6. He warns us against, against doing what we do to be noticed or recognized or highly favored by people. The approval of people is a crushing burden that none of us can really live under for very long. And so Jesus tells us not to do that. And he, he gives us three examples, three areas of our life where we might be tempted to do something in order to gain recognition. First of all, he talks about the area of giving. He said, it's tempting if you give and you should give, you should give generously, but it's tempting to give in order that people will be impressed by how much you've given. The second area, he talks about praying. He says, it's tempting when you pray to kind of announce your prayers, you know, stand up in the synagogue or stand on the street corner and kind of draw attention to yourself while you pray so that you get glory for it. The third area that Jesus talks about is the area of fasting. And that's what we come to this morning in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus is going to talk about fasting and how we should fast. Before we dive into these verses, I, I, I think it's necessary because fasting is, like, the whole concept of fasting is a, of a little foreign uh, to us, maybe more foreign to us than it would have been uh, to Jesus's first audience. And so I think it's really important just to lay down some, some foundational truths, kind of zoom out, take a 30,000 foot view of what the Bible has to say about fasting. Then we'll zoom back in and look at verses 16, 17, and 18 to see what Jesus says about it. So let me just ask three questions this morning. What is a fast? Why should we fast? 
And then how should we fast, all right? That's what we're going to talk about. What a fast is, why we fast, and then how or in what manner we should fast. So just first of all, what is a fast? Well, this is a simple definition for you of what a fast is. Fasting is abstaining from a normal function for a spiritual purpose. Okay, let's, let's read that definition together. Fasting is abstaining from a normal function for a what? A spiritual purpose. Now, some of you have heard of fasting for medical reasons. Uh, if you get blood drawn on Tuesday, the doctor might ask you to fast on Monday. So maybe you're used to the idea of fasting for a medical purpose. Or some of you have heard about intermittent fasting, which is kind of all the rage in the health community. And so you, you fast for a certain window of time in order to trim up and drop weight, something like that. But the idea of fasting for a spiritual purpose might be a new concept for some. But this is actually where fasting originated. This was originally what fasting was for. It was giving up something for a spiritual purpose. If you think about fasting and giving, there's some parallels there. Jesus talks about how to give in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Giving is about giving something to the Lord. Fasting is about giving up something for the Lord. Okay, so when you fast, you abstain from a normal function, and usually that's food, but it doesn't have to be food, okay? And we'll talk about that here in a second. But it's, it's, a, it's abstaining from a normal function for a spiritual purpose, and really the purpose is to draw closer to the Lord. I, I argue that you can experience God when you fast in a way that you cannot experience Him any other way. God wants you to experience him in a real and powerful and life-changing way. God wants to take you deep with him. But sometimes to go deep with God, you've got to be willing to take drastic measures. You have to be willing to take some bold steps. You have to be doing uh, some things maybe that you've not ever done before, maybe some things that are uncomfortable. Have you ever noticed that sometimes if, God, if you're really going to encounter God and experience God, you've got to get uncomfortable, amen? Amen. And fasting is one of those ways. It's an uncomfortable thing to do. It's a big, bold step. But I, I'm arguing that if you want to go deep with God, you've got to be willing to do what you... It, listen, if you want what you've never experienced before, you've got to be willing to do what you've never done before. And I, I say that God wants to take you deep. He wants you to experience the depths, but you have to be willing to go there. David Johnson, uh, many of you know David, is a longtime member here at Moberly. He took me and a, a couple of others fishing on Friday. And we went offshore and uh, he said, listen, there's some red snapper that are offshore. They are deep and I want to take you there. They're 30 miles. I want to take you all the way to the depths to where you can get some great red snapper. Well, the problem was on Friday, the weather was bad. And so the waves were massive. And so David said, listen, this is where I want to take you, but it's going to be a rough ride. It's going to be a little risky. You got to be willing to, are you willing to go where I want to take you? And I wonder if the Lord might say to some of you today, I, I want to take you deep. There, there are some places I want to bring you. Are you willing to do what it takes to get there? And maybe one of the pathways to get there, one of the pathways to go deeper with God than you've ever gone before is through the spiritual discipline or the spiritual habit of fasting. It helps you to draw closer to him, to experience him in a new way, to focus on the Lord. Now, there are several ways to fast. Uh, let me just talk about that as we're thinking about what is a fast. There are several ways to fast. So one of the first things that you need to do if you decide, I'm going to fast, I'm going to try this, the first thing you need to do is to pray and ask God what kind of fast you should do. 
Uh, there's a wonderful book by Elmer Towns called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough, and I would recommend that book to you. He talks about a lot of different biblical kind of fasts. I want to give you just four ways of fasting this morning. Number one, the first, uh, as you look across the pages of Scripture, the first kind of fast that you will see is what I'm calling an absolute fast. An absolute fast is where you go without food or water for a very, keyword, very brief period of time. Okay, you see an example of this in Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. The apostle Paul, when he met Jesus, was converted. He, he became blind for, for three days. And Acts chapter 9 verse 9 says that, that uh, he was unable to see for three days and he did not eat or drink. It was a very brief period of time, no food, no water. And, and some may for a short period of time, maybe they just say for an afternoon or an evening, I'm not going to have anything to eat or drink. And that's going to be my fast. That would be an absolute fast. The second kind of fast that you see in the Bible is what's called a total fast. That's what I'm calling it, a total fast. Now, that is going without food. You're still drinking liquids, but you, you're going without food for a short or long period of time. Jesus did this kind of fast when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, obvious, Captain Obvious here, he was hungry, right? Because he didn't eat for 40 days. So some people, some Christians have, have said, you know, I'm going to go without food for a period of time. Maybe it's some, I've known uh, friends who've, who've literally done a 40-day fast from food, not eating anything for 40 days. Other people might do a, a week without food. Some may say, I'm going to take a day and for one full day, I'm not going to eat. Some of you may just fast a meal. You say for, for dinner, I'm not going to eat a dinner tonight. I'm, I'm going to have a total fast from food for a period of time. The third kind of fast is what's called a partial fast. A partial fast is where you go without certain kinds of food. Uh, for, a long, for, for a period of time. So you see this in, in the book of Daniel in a couple of different places. You remember the Hebrew young men uh, who were brought into the king's court and they are fed all, all this you know, sumptuous food from, from the king and they decide not to eat the king's food. And instead they have a very special diet for a period of time. That's a partial fast. They're abstaining from certain kinds of food. If you look at Daniel chapter 10 and verse three, uh, Daniel uh, experienced this as well. He said, I didn't eat any rich food. Uh, no meat or wine entered my mouth. I didn't put any oil in my body until the three weeks were over. So there was a three-week partial fast. I'm going to abstain from a certain kind of food. Now, some of you men in the room, this is the one that you're trying to, you're, you're, you're focusing on. You're circling this one. You're, you're saying, I can do that. You know, give up certain kinds of food for a month. I'm not going to eat anything green. No vegetables, you know, for I can do that kind of fast. I'm not going to have any asparagus for a month. That's no problem. I, I, I have no interest that's really missing the point. <laughs> so the idea in a fast is that not that you give up what's easy, but that you give up something that you want. So a partial fast would be something like, I'm not going to have bluebell ice cream for a month. Oh my goodness. Not easy. I'm not going to have steak or barbecue or ribs or any of those types of things for a month. Uh, it's giving up something that's, that's sacrificial, something maybe that you want to eat uh, for, for a period of time. All right, here's the fourth kind of fast, and that is what I'm just calling a non-food fast, a non-food fast. So not everyone can fast from food. If, you have, uh, if your doctor gives you advice, medical advice, medical counsel that you should not fast from food, then you need to listen to your doctor. But that's not the only way of fasting. You can give something else up for the Lord. 
So you might say, okay, for my fast, I'm not gonna watch television. Uh, I'm gonna abstain from Netflix, you know, for a certain period of time. Or maybe you say, I'm gonna give up social media uh, for a certain period of time. But you're, you're, you're essentially just focusing on something else in your life that you're going to abstain from for a period of time for a spiritual uh, purpose. So when Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 16, when you fast, this is what he's talking about, abstaining from a normal function for a spiritual purpose. Now, why should we fast? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that question. Uh, why, why should we intentionally go without something in order to focus on the Lord? Well, let me just use an analogy that may be helpful for you. If you've ever thought about the body, uh, whenever, right, we have five senses, if you've ever noticed that you've, when you take one sense away, have you ever noticed that the other senses are heightened? So if you ever, you know, if you ever go blindfold, I just don't do this, but if you ever do blindfold yourself and try to walk through the house, your other senses will become hyper aware. Uh, you, you'll, you'll be very sensitive to what you're hearing, maybe what you're smelling, what you're, you're touching. Amy and I went on a bear hunt one time and we walked through the woods uh, and while it was still dark, and I can tell you, our senses were heightened. I was listening for everything that could be bear-like. And fasting functions in a similar way. You're giving up uh, something that's very uh, key to life, food. Uh, you're kind of losing something in order to heighten your sensitivity to the Lord. Uh, you're doing away with something to sort of increase your sensitivity to God. Uh, David Mathis has written a wonderful book called Habits of Grace. This is what David says about fasting. He says, fasting accompanies heartfelt prayer in expressing special longing for some particular divine provision or help. And going without such a basic comfort of daily life as food highlights God's value beyond his blessings and focuses our affections afresh on him. So doing without something will show God's value above and beyond the blessings he gives us, and it will heighten or focus the love of your heart towards him, your affections for him. <clears throat> now, there are several reasons to fast. The Bible gives us many. I want to give you five. Okay, why should we fast? Well, number one, we fast in order to experience God's power. We just sang a couple of different songs that had lyrics in them that had to do with experiencing God's power and weakness. And that's very biblical language. It comes from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Let's look on the screen and see this passage together. Paul says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected, say it with me, my power is perfected in, in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my, say it with me, weaknesses so that God's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in what? Weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Why? For the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if you've ever read an upside down verse, here it is. I boast in weakness. 
that doesn't make any sense. We, we don't boast in our weaknesses. Paul says, I rejoice when I'm insulted and go through difficulty and hardship. Why? Because when I'm weak, I experience God's strength. What Paul is arguing here is that weakness is a spiritual advantage. We don't think of weakness that way. We tend to associate weakness with like the opposite of blessing, hardship with the opposite of blessing. We tend to associate because the prosperity gospel has seeped into the water so much. We tend to think that if God is blessing me, it means my life is going to be easy. It means that I'm going to have my health. I'm going to have, you know, plenty of money in the bank. I'm not going to go through difficulty. And that's God's favor. That's God's blessing. Paul says the exact opposite. He says, I'm most blessed when I am weakest. Why? Because it's only when I come to the recognition of my own weakness that I begin to experience God's strength. You see, if I'm, if I'm strong in and of myself, I don't need God. If, if I have my health, if I have plenty of money in the bank, if I have all my needs taken care of, I'm not really having to depend on the Lord very much in that moment. Have you ever noticed that you tend to, to depend on the Lord more desperately when you are in trouble than when you're in good times? When your life is falling apart around, your, uh, around you and you, you say, I, I need God desperately. Well, guess what? That's exactly what God wants for you. God wants you to need him desperately. He wants you to be dependent on his grace. He wants you to come to a recognition of your own weakness so that you can begin to experience God's strength. If you're strong, you don't need God's strength. And what a miserable existence would, would it be to go through your entire life without ever needing to depend on God's strength. Paul says, I embraced weakness because when I am weak, God steps in and does for me what I can't do for myself. When I am weak, God comes with his power. When I am weak, God comes with his strength. And so here's how this connects to fasting. Fasting from food is an intentional embrace of weakness so that we can experience God's strength. When you fast from food in particular, you're not going to feel very strong. You're going to feel hungry. You may feel tired. You may feel grumpy. You're going to feel weak. But it is an intentional embrace of weakness for the purpose of experiencing God's power in a way that you couldn't if you were strong. Saying, God, I want your strength to be active in my life, so I'm intentionally going to become weak so that I'll see your power manifested in my life. Number two, the second reason to, to uh, fast is in order to strengthen prayer, to strengthen prayer. When you fast, it will strengthen your prayer life. And that happens in a couple of different ways. But often through Scripture, you see prayer and fasting uh, walking hand in hand. Okay, this is true with Jesus when he's in the, in the wilderness. He's praying and fasting for 40 days. Um, here's how prayer and fasting work together. When you fast from food, here's what's going to happen after just a few hours. You're going to start to get these things called hunger pains. And that's the little trigger that your body's saying, it's time to eat. You need to eat. When you fast and you say no to food, here's what that hunger pain can become. Every time you experience a hunger pain, it can become a prompt for prayer. When you decide to fast, you're saying, I'm, I'm going to allow every little hunger pain to remind me that I'm supposed to be praying right now. I've been busy. I've forgotten about prayer. But now, oh, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat. Instead, I'm going I'm to go to the prayer closet. I'm going to, to pray uh, as I'm experiencing that hunger. When you fast, it's a way to express to God the earnestness of your prayers to him. You know, James 5.16 says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
it accomplishes a lot. There is something to be said for fervent prayer. God takes notice of fervent prayer. You remember the parable that Jesus taught about the man who knocked on his neighbor's door at midnight because he had guests coming over and he didn't have enough food and the man didn't wake up to come to the door. So the man just kept knocking and knocking and knocking until his neighbor finally came out and said, what's going on? And he says, I've got, I got, I've got friends coming over. I don't have any food. I, I beg you to help me. The neighbor bugged the man until the man paid attention to what the neighbor was asking for. Now that's Jesus's invitation that in prayer, we are invited to bug God. God says, it's okay to annoy me in prayer. It's okay to bug me. It is okay to keep knocking. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is gonna say, keep asking, uh, keep searching, keep knocking. That's, that's different than vain repetition, which is what Jesus talked about earlier in Matthew chapter six. This is the idea of fervent prayer. And when you fast and pray, you are expressing to God the seriousness with which you take your own prayer request. In other words, you're not just sort of flipping, flippantly asking God for something. You're saying, God, this request matters so much to me. I take this request so seriously that it's more important to me even than eating, which is necessary for life. So God, I'm giving up the food to show you my earnestness about the thing I'm praying for. And God takes notice of fervent prayer. Uh, I told you about this fishing trip I went on. The, the, the waves were, were large. One of the reasons the waves were so large is because of the ocean's swells under the waves. You see, the swells were six feet tall. And the waves were three feet tall on top of the swell. So that means the boat was going nine feet up and then back down. Hopefully none of you get seasick right here just thinking about that. But you see, without the swell, the wave couldn't go as high as it went. With the swell, the wave went higher than it ever could by itself. And that's how fasting and prayer works. Fasting elevates our prayer. Fasting allows our prayer to go farther than it would have on its own. It's a way of fervently, earnestly praying, saying to God, God, I want you to take my request seriously. And I'm showing you how serious I take my own request because I'm fasting about it as well. You remember Jesus uh, says in Mark chapter nine, verse 29, his disciples tried to cast out a demon one time and they couldn't. And so Jesus comes, he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. You know, cast the demon out. And they're like, well, Jesus, why couldn't we have done this? And Jesus says, well, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. So there's a kind of fervency that fasting will bring to strengthen your prayer life. Now, that doesn't mean that God will always give you what you're asking for, okay? So you can't use fasting like a manipulation tool to sort of strong arm God into giving you what you want. But it is a way of expressing to God the earnestness that you approach your request. God will give you what is best because he's a good father. But sometimes a good father has to tell a child no. A child wants to eat ice cream and cake all day long, every day. Well, because I'm not because I don't love my kids, but because I do love my kids, there are moments where I have to say no. There's something better for you. And similarly, God is, is going to only give you what is best for you, what is for your greatest good and his highest glory. That's why Jesus says later in Matthew chapter seven, you know, what father among you, if a kid asks you for bread, are you gonna give him a snake? No, a good father gives good gifts to his children. And so sometimes God's knows are aspects of his grace. 
because he wants what's best for you. So, so what I'm telling you is you don't fast in order to sort of make God give you what you want. It just expresses to God the seriousness that you take your own request. All right, number next. You fast. Why are we fasting? Well, to experience God's power, to strengthen prayer. Number three, to seek God's guidance. Have you ever had a hard time discerning God's will in your life about a matter? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Let's look around the room. How many of you have ever had trouble discerning God's will in your life about something? One of the reasons we have a a little hard time discerning the will of God in our life is because of so much noise. We have a hard time paying attention to God's presence in our lives or His movement in our lives. Fasting is removing something so that you can pay greater attention to the movement of God's Spirit in your life. You see the Apostle Paul do this in Acts chapter 9. At conversion, he, he fasts seeking God's direction. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, the early church, before they send out Paul and Barnabas, they prayed and fasted. They were seeking God's guidance. And here's the thing. When you give something up, fasting helps attune your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So if you're having a hard time discerning God's guidance in your life about a matter, let me encourage you to try fasting. By removing some clutter, by removing some some noise, it, it, it helps you to pay more attention to God's presence in your life and God's movement in your life. Here's the next one. Number four, why should we fast? Well, we fast to repent of sin and fight for holiness. Fasting will help you to say no to sin and yes to God's best in your life. Um, Fasting helps you experience freedom from sin. Some of you are here today, if you would be honest with yourself or with others, you would say, you know what, My, my, my sin has my number. My sin is beating me up and I'm not experiencing freedom from sin. What I wanna tell you is that fasting will help you to begin experiencing greater freedom from sin and help you as you seek to turn to the Lord. Think about Jonah here. Jonah chapter three, Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches a message of repentance and the Ninevites, they rend their garments, they pour ashes on their heads, signifying spiritual brokenness and then they pray and they fast and then they repent. So here you have fasting associated with repentance. And sometimes when sin has a hold of us, sometimes the only way to break free is through fasting and prayer. Now, here's how that works. Fasting fundamentally is about self-restraint. Fasting is learning the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Self-control is where there's something you want to do and you say no. Self-restraint is where there's there is a holy no to something. It's where you are tempted and maybe you're being tempted to something that looks good, something that's attracting you, something that you want, but you say no to it. Where do you learn how to do that? I would argue you learn how to do that by fasting. Fasting is where you learn to say a holy no to to things that you want. So, uh, it's, it's keeping something under control as a first step towards keeping sin under God's control. It is developing a holy habit in one area of your life, eating, so that you can experience that holy habit in other areas of your life, like with temptation. If you can say no 
to bluebell ice cream in the middle of a craving, and you can do that again and again and again, where you just develop this holy habit of saying, I want it, but I'm going to say no to it. Guess what? That will bleed over into other areas of your life. If you, if you develop the muscle of saying no, and you begin to exercise that muscle, and it becomes just habit to say no to some things, then when Satan tempts you with something, it's easier to say no in that moment because you've already learned the discipline of self-control. Now, that's the opposite of gluttony. Gluttony is saying yes to everything and way too often. Gluttony is when you fill yourself with food and social media and relationships. It's stuffing yourself with everything but the Lord. Fasting is where you say no for the sake of the Lord. You're you're saying, I want it, I won't take it. Fasting is learning that our food, as Jesus said in John 4, 34, is to do the will of God. And the discipline of saying no to a food craving helps us to say no to other sinful cravings. Um, George, George Whitfield is a, a famous evangelist from yesteryear. And he, I read his journals one, one time and he talks about when he was a student at Oxford University, he'd walk to meet with his professor and then he would walk home. And on his way home, he would go down this street where there was a fruit stand. And he started getting the habit of buying a piece of fruit and eating it on his way home. Now, I've never been tempted with that, but, uh, but he was. But then he writes in his journal about how he began to look forward to that fruit. And every day that began to be the thing he looked forward to the most. And every day on his way home from class, he couldn't wait to get to the fruit stand where he could buy a piece of fruit and eat it. And he'd be daydreaming when he was meeting with his professor about the fruit that he was going to meet, he was going to eat after class. And, and he began to realize that fruit was dominating his life. Weird. <laughs> like broccoli dominating your life, you know? It's just, but he, he said, I, I was learning, I was not able to say no to it. It became an addictive thing. So he felt very convicted by the Holy Spirit. He needed to stop eating that fruit. He needed to learn how to say no to it so that he could say no to other things. When you fast, you're just saying God is, is better than whatever else we're hungering for. Okay, so that leads us to the fifth and final reason that we should fast, and that is just simply to express dedication, love, and commitment to the Lord. Fasting is a way to say to God, God, you're more important to me than this thing that I want. I am hungry for this. I've got an appetite for this, but God, I'm more hungry for you. God, I acknowledge you are better to me than whatever this other thing is. And listen, that can be tough in Texas because we love to eat. We love some barbecue. Can I get a witness? Barbecue is delicious. Barbecue is wonderful. It's a great gift from God. Barbecues, and we, we know how to grill meat. In fact, some people, they have so much meat, they call it a meatapalooza. They love to grill. And it is hard sometimes to say no to that big, juicy ribeye. But when we fast, we're saying, God, as delicious as that ribeye is, you're more delicious to me. As juicy as that steak is, knowing you is juicier. Amen? God, you matter more to me than whatever this other thing is that I want. And so listen, sin is when good things become ultimate things in our life. Maybe good things that God created, but now they become ultimate things. Fasting is how you take a created thing, even a good thing, put it back in its rightful place, which is subordinating it to God. So those are some of the reasons biblically that we might fast. Let me end now by talking about how to fast. And this is where Jesus gives us instruction, verses 16 through 18. Jesus, in these verses, gives us a warning. He gives us a command. And he gives us a promise. 
First of all, he gives us a warning. When you fast, Jesus says, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. This is what Jesus is saying, and it's repeated, by the way. He says this in verse 1. He says it in verse 2. He says it in verse 5. Don't give in order to be noticed. Don't pray in order to be noticed. Now he says, don't fast in order to be noticed. How could you get people to notice you fasting? Well, Jesus says, you know, if you go around with a gloomy, disfigured face, woe is me, gloom, pain, misery, And you're doing that so that people will ask you why you're gloomy. You know, you walk into church and you just look like a rain cloud hanging over your head, disfigured face. You look sad and forlorn. Your friend at your connect group says, what's wrong? Nothing. (laughs) I'm just fasting. Jesus says, don't be a dog biscuit. (laughs) Looking great on the outside, but there's something else going on the inside. Jesus calls that hypocrisy. I'm appearing so spiritual, but really there's something else on the inside. I'm putting on a performance. And my spirituality now has been reduced to a show. Jesus says, don't do it that way. Don't give to be noticed. Don't pray to be noticed. Don't fast to be noticed. Don't just put on a performance. Don't have a spiritual show just so where people would be so impressed with you. If you do that, you've already got all the reward you're ever going to get. You might have gotten the applause of people, but that's all. That's the warning. Then the command, verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who's in secret. This is what Jesus is saying. Practice your righteousness for the Lord and for him alone. Don't be gloomy. Don't disfigure your face. Put oil on your head. What's that about? Well, that was just a a, a, a cosmetic product in the first century. Uh, Instead of putting on makeup, they would wash their face with oil. Jesus is just simply saying, you know, don't disfigure your face. Brush your teeth. Comb your hair. Don't go around looking sad. Be normal. Jesus is saying, be discreet. Take active steps not to be noticed. Uh, Some of you have have done Secret Santa at Christmas time. Anybody ever done Secret Santa? That's where you buy a gift for someone, you leave it anonymously for them. We did that a couple of years as a kid. And I remember leaving a gift for one of my friends down the street secretly. But then over the next few days, I was like, I do want him to know it was me. And so I began to drop little hints, you know, you've ridden your new bike lately, you know, just little hints because I wanted to get a little credit for that. And you might think, well, you know, if I'm going to give so generously, shouldn't people know? Can I get a little credit? I mean, I'm fasting. I didn't eat Bluebell all month. That's serious spirituality. Can I get a little credit for that? Jesus says, no, 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 be discreet. Take steps not to be noticed. It's okay not having all of your spirituality on display for people. It's okay. You know, I mentioned asparagus earlier. Kind of knocked on asparagus a little bit. But here's something cool about asparagus. You know, it only grows five to eight inches above ground, but it can grow as deep as 20 feet below the ground. That's pretty impressive. Some of the most spiritual people that I've ever met are the least obvious about it. 
And there's a lot of rootedness. There's a lot of depth, but it's not just on display for everybody to see. And that's okay. The Lord sees that. And isn't God good enough to just do that for him? Isn't enough just to be noticed by him? Even if no one else recognizes, even if no one else applauds, even if no one else sees, God sees. Isn't the applause of heaven enough? That's the promise Jesus makes. The last phrase of verse 18, your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's repeated from verse 3 and verse 6. Now you have it again, verse 18. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. If you give a generous gift, guess what? God sees it. He'll reward you. If you pray to him, maybe no one else sees it, but God sees it. He'll reward you. If you fast and you do without something, whether it's to strengthen your prayer, to experience God's power, to seek his guidance, or whatever other of the reasons we've talked about, God sees that and he will reward you. What's the reward? Again, told you this week after week, I have no idea. It's a secret reward. But I think that's pretty special because we know we have a good God. Amen? We have a big God. We have a generous God. So whatever our good, big, generous God wants to reward us with is going to be pretty awesome. And this is a promise Jesus makes. God will, will not let any good thing go unnoticed. God will see it. God will notice you. God will recognize you. And fasting is just simply the way to say, God, you matter more, more to me than everything. There's, there's nothing else in my life that comes before you. Not the food, not the TV, not the other stuff. God, you just, you matter more to me. I, I can't help but remember Matthew 5, 6 when I think about fasting. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for what? Righteousness. And the promise, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, he will fill you. The question is, what are you most hungry for today? Are you hungry for lunch or are you hungry for him? Does that hunger pain matter more to you or does that desire for God matter more, more to you? Let me just tell you, he is more, he is better. He, he, he is more delicious than any food you'll ever eat. The Bible says he is sweeter than the honeycomb. He, he's more satisfying than bread. Jesus says in John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Jesus is better. And in giving and praying and fasting, we're making that commitment. God, you're better than my money. You matter more to me than the attention, you matter more than me even to the food that's in front of me. Uh, if you were to write a title of verses, over verses 1 through 18, I've told you, you could just write an audience of one. We live for an audience of one. Those of you who are musicians in the room, you may have participated in music competitions over the years. And you know, when you're in a music competition, there might even be a crowd of people who hear the, the song that you play, but there's really only one person in the room that matters. If you're playing an instrument and you're playing a music competition, it's the judge's ears alone that you must please. Others can watch, others can listen, but the judge is the only one you're playing for. And the truth is, in the Christian life, others may see the song that you play with your life, but we play for an audience of one. 
And it's him and him alone that matters. Amen? Let's bow together. God, we acknowledge you are better than anything this world has to offer. Lord, when we are hungry for things more than we're hungry for you, change that in us. Help us to develop an appetite for you that is insatiable. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that as they give, as they pray, as they fast, that they will experience the reward that you have promised. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.